This time, we're taking a satirical look at the quasi-fascistic film Starship Troopers. And along the way, we ask, how is Paul Verhoeven so comfortable with nudity? Is it right for the military to recruit 18-year-old children? And have they thought about just leaving the bugs alone? We will answer these questions and more on this episode of Force Fed Sci-Fi. All right, guys. Thanks for coming back and checking out another episode of Force Fed Sci-Fi. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is one of your co-hosts, Sean Michael Culp, and along the way is my friend and co-host. I am the roughneck, Chris Rupp. The roughneck. <laughs> that's I could see that. That's about that's right for you, man. <laughs> uh, you know, and it fits well. You know, uh, Ratchak's Roughnecks, Rico's Roughnecks. I think Rupp's Roughnecks has a nice ring to it. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, happy to be back on this, man. It's been a little while with crazy life going on and the COVID and all that. <laughs> yeah, we got given a giving people kind of a glimpse behind the curtains. You know, I, uh, I recently took on a second job to supplement my income. And just been super busy with that, and also taking care of my parents during all this. And I know you've uh, you've had some pretty rough goings lately yourself as well. Oh yeah, well, one of my jobs, the contract ended, so then I had to apply for a different job, and like you know, balancing plus grad school, and then my girlfriend's dog was put down, and her grandpa died of COVID. So it was just it was just like a bunch of stuff, just one after the other. But luckily, we're surviving and. We're doing it, so happy to uh, be back doing the thing that we enjoy, reviewing two, uh, two nerds reviewing some sci-fi podcast movies, you know, movies for the podcast, so <laughs> I'm stoked to cover this one, Starship Troopers. Yeah, I was uh, I was pretty glad when uh, this came up in the list. I, uh, I don't need much of a reason to re-watch this anytime, but I'm always glad when I do because it's another great movie that's managed to hold up after all this time. Oh, definitely. This was, this was fun. It, it, I honestly, I couldn't believe it was made in 1997. So it was, it was kind of a nice nugget of its time. And I know this was my first time watching this film, so it was pretty exciting for me to finally like unpack it and everything. But before we get into all that, let's uh, let's break this baby down as we usually do, Mister Synopsis Man. All right. So in the future. Society has changed to the point where the only way to earn citizenship is through military service. And as humanity is dragged into an interstellar war with species of bugs called arachnids, our heroes learn that it's never wise to underestimate your enemy. So it's this, it's a space war film, obviously, with these, what we think are these uber sentient bugs and humanity is going after the bugs to destroy them for some reason because they think they're a threat to our existence <laughs> it's the typical kill what you do not understand basically i would say and that's yeah that's pretty much the picture that we paint with this film we're being attacked by weird creatures let's bomb them yeah let's go kill these creatures that live on planets that are light years away because we think they're sending asteroids into our atmosphere. <laughs> that's right. What a, what a fantastic, uh, what a, that's typical for the uh, humanity, right? That's like a USA thing. So who's in this freaking film? We said uh, 
It's directed by Paul Vierhoven or Vierhoven or whatever the heck his name is. Vierhoven. He's Dutch, so I imagine there's like some weird kind of guttural sound you have to make with his last name. But this is the point of Paul Verhoeven's career where I think we finally re- we see fully actualized Verhoeven. I mean, because we previously talked about RoboCop on the show, but at this point he's also done Total Recall. He's done Basic Instincts. He did the god-awful Showgirls movie. And then he does this, kind of going back into his wheelhouse of like quasi-fascistic science fiction films that also feature a ton of nudity. Yeah, yeah, he's diving into the well. It's like the greatest hits for him with this film, definitely. We got the blood, we got the nudity, like you said, the sci-fi elements. It's everything that he's known for. Yeah, so I don't is it is it is it a Paul Verhoeven movie if it doesn't feature some sort of like co-ed nudity in it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> just saying. Just, I'm just throwing that out there for people to ponder, you know. No, I think you're right. <laughs> definitely. Uh, he's he's definitely one of those directors that I think everyone needs to check out in their life. You know, if you want to be like a, a director in film school, you got to check out his work because it's pretty much on the nose, all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, if especially with is um with RoboCop with there is a surprisingly amount of things to unpack from that film. We get a similar vibe in Starship Troopers, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the writer of RoboCop, Edward Newmeyer, also wrote Starship Troopers. So he was able mm-hmm. to continue this this uh, symbiotic relationship with Verhoeven into this film. Yeah. But I think the writer though with this film like he said it was the novel Starship Troopers was like his childhood favorite. But the director, Paul Verhoeven, he couldn't even like read it. He said he tried, but he was like bored and depressed after a few chapters. So it's kind of funny how, you know, they still made this great classic despite uh, having like two dissenting opinions. Yeah. (laughs) But this isn't this doesn't feature any sort of like big name cast at the time, at least. I mean, we have. Casper Van Dien is playing Johnny Rico, and a lot of people consider this his breakthrough performance, but he doesn't really do anything much after that. No. <laughs> and before this, he has television credits on Beverly Hills 90210 and Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And then after that, I think he was in um, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow and I think a couple other like of those direct-to-video sequels for Starship Troopers, but he hasn't done much lately. No, he's definitely one of those... like typecast guys the faces of the 90s because he was young and good looking but lacked the probably the front man skills and really the necessary components to like be that versatile actor i mean in this film i i agree i think he was kind of just he he did the he did what he had to do and then who else do we have we have dina meyer dina meyer she plays uh izzy or dizzy flores in this film yeah, she was also on Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> and I, so, yeah, the, the, the casting director kind of went for the well of actors who briefly appeared on 90210. I think probably just because it makes sense with, like, the characters. Because all of them are so, like, shallow as people. They just wanted to get the most, like, shallow-looking surface-level individuals. I mean, what, they got Denise Richards in this freaking film. Neil Patrick Harris. William Jacob Busey. Whoever. Is he like the son of Gary Busey? It is Gary Busey's son. And (laughs) I don't think 
I mean, I he de- I don't think he inherited his father's insanity, but he definitely inherited his teeth. I mean, you could land jets on on Jake Busey's teeth; they're so huge. <laughs> they are. He's kind of like what his dad looked like before the crazy motorcycle accident that horribly turned him into a maniac. <laughs> yeah, I think also coupled with uh, prescription drug overuse and alcohol abuse probably contributed to <laughs> Gary Busey's mental state. Oh, man. But he is... Have you, Not to go on too big of a tangent about Gary Busey, but have you like watched any of his clips on YouTube? Like how he smells Oh, farts? yeah. He, <laughs> oh, yeah. He's thoroughly insane. <laughs> he is so crazy. But... Somewhat, I kind of enjoy some of his philosophy because he's so crazy, but at the same time, he'll speak words that just like make so much sense about life. He's he's a maniac. I mean, it just goes to show you if you're crazy enough and if you've abused a much as many prescription drugs as Gary Busey, you too could start your own YouTube channel and spout crazy philosophy. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Yeah, we also get Michael Ironside as Gene Ratchek and... I mean, he's also been in Total Recall and Top Gun, but I think modern uh, audiences will recognize him as the voice of Sam Fisher in the Splinter Cell video game series, and he's he's fantastic in that role. He, he just has one of those great voices where once he starts speaking, like you know who that is. I didn't, uh, I couldn't remember where the heck I'd seen this guy from, but then I remember he. I think he's in X Men First Class, and then uh, I think I saw him in like. He was in Terminator Salvation. So I was like, oh, that dude, that dude, yeah. So it was kind of nice to see that face. His character was pretty iconic in this film with the uh, missing arm. He's great at playing those, you know, rough and gruff military type figures. Well, he has the face for it. Oh, definitely. And then kind of rounding out the principal cast, we get uh, Neil Patrick Harris as uh, the best friend Carl Jenkins. Yeah, young Neil Patrick Harris. And I think he's like really the only one. He's probably the only one out of this cast that really his career like took off. I mean, maybe you could say Denise Richards kind of with reality TV, but Neil Patrick Harris is kind of popular or at least everyone knows him more so. Yeah. I mean, I think Neil Patrick Harris is just now known as just an all around delightful human being, but definitely his career has been, has had the, the pleasure of longevity, I think, thanks to Instagram and, you know what he, you know, the posts he has with his husband and their kids. Oh, and also, I mean, he, I mean, he does freaking magic trips, uh, tricks on his Instagram page. So, I mean, how do you not like that? <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I don't follow his Instagram. Maybe I should. Right, yeah, he's a good follow on Instagram. Yeah, he's a good follow on Instagram. He posts a lot about his kids and his husband, and then he's just, you know, he's just enjoying life and you know acting whenever he wants and is just enjoying a comfortable life. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, everyone. <laughs> we all, I'm almost surprised at sort of like the other bit actors in this film because we also get Clancy Brown, who's playing a sergeant and then later Private Zim. We have uh, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad fame as the commanding officer who recommends Rico get administrative punishment. Mm-hmm. And then we also get um, Seth Gillian. He's a uh, uh, Sugar Watkins in the in the Roughnecks platoon there. He's been on The Walking Dead for the last few years and is pretty much a mainstay on that show. And if you know that show at all, it's it's impossibly hard to stay alive because the writers kill off whoever they want pretty much. Everyone. <laughs> That's cool. I don't know who any of those people are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know who Clancy Brown is, though. Uh, 
Oh, Clancy yeah. Brown is the voice of Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh my God, yes! <laughs> if only in this film he was like, arr, 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 arr. <laughs> that would be so freaking hilarious. Clancy Brown. Oh, there we go. Uh, so this film, Chris, uh, how it's very military esque. That's like the big thing. It's some people when it initially came out thought it was like promoting militarism and fascism and military rule, but actually the film's pretty satirical. Would you agree or disagree? Oh, 100% agree with that. And it's pretty easy to dissect exactly like what is going on here. I mean, even the opening prologue is one giant propaganda film. And at the end of it, we see all these troopers being killed by the bugs when we were led to believe, oh, the military is so mighty, they're going to crush the bugs. And in reality, the bugs are just ripping people in half and and mm-hmm. um, un- just massacring them all. And I, I get how this can seem like a, just a vapid space war film filled with beautiful and sexy people, but if you really take a look at the world and how it's constructed, at least um, at least from the surface, we see that this is a deep dive into what a fully realized fascist society looks like. Yeah, yeah. It's Well, they call what the people that join the military, they're called citizens, right? Yeah, the only way to obtain citizenship is through military service. <laughs> Which is just so freaking hilarious to think about, right? you must serve in the military to be considered yeah citizenship is not is not guaranteed i mean and this is the only way to obtain citizenship at least from what i could see in the movie i didn't see anything else like somebody bought their way like the only way to get it is to join the military and literally sacrifice limbs if you have to to just to become a citizen yeah everyone all the recruiters were like missing an arm legs or something and they're all like it was the best service of my life or and it just seemed like in the society there are either everyone joined the military and became a citizen quote-unquote citizen or their families had to be like rich and wealthy like Rico's family they wanted him to go to like some richy rich school to like study so he could escape the war it's kind of it was just fascinating to see like the difference you know in society and how like the rich people poo-pooed the military, but they were so small. Yeah, even Johnny's father's like, you're going to Harvard and that's it. And I'm just thinking, like, they must not send report cards home in this future. <laughs> right? Or Harvard's lost such a... Or I, maybe he could buy his way in due to the money manipulation. Yeah, J- Mr. Rico's going to have to donate, like, a dormitory just for Johnny to get into Harvard. <laughs> but right. we also but see all was- this... Yeah, we see the soldiers that Johnny's with in boot... They all have different motivations for enlisting. They Some of them say college. There's a woman who says she wants to be able to have babies. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple that are just going straight for a military career. I think um, uh, Jake Busey's character, A, says he wants to be a future Sky Marshal. And then you see like the yeah. farmer boys like, I want to see the sights. I'm like, well, you're kind of in the <clears throat> wrong profession if that's what you want, man. Oh, you'd be surprised. I know. I went to training with a lot of people. They're like, oh, I just joined it to travel and see something different. I'm like, what? (laughs) Save your money, bro. You can travel whenever you want. Not to be pro or con military, but it's that's a pretty they I do think they hit it on the head with a lot of reasons for why people signed up and all that. 
Yeah, I'll, I, I agree with that. I mean, I remember back in my high school days, there were always people talking about joining the military. And it wasn't until like my senior year where the reasons finally became clear that people wanted to do it. And I never understood the whole reason like, oh, I want to see the world because depending on which branch you join, you may only see like one part of the world. And when I graduated in high school, that part of the world was most likely going to be, you know, Afghanistan, (laughs) which (laughs) which is just sand and mountains. So, yeah, I don't know how much exactly of that whole seeing the world aspect really worked out for anybody. You know, recruiters do a great job at lying to you. So they're fantastic <laughs> salesmen. <laughs> oh, God. But it's true. I mean, there's like Denise Richards wanted to be a captain or a pilot and all that. I mean, it was it was great. It was really seeing like all their reasons for doing it. I think like uh, Dizzy was like in love with Rico, right? She like even joined his squadron or his company in basic training, like infantry to be with him. Yeah, they they all have such weird reasons for wanting to join. It seems like Rico's only reason is to impress Carmen for some reason, and then Dizzy's reason for joining up is so she can follow around Rico. <laughs> and it's, it's just this weird love triangle that they develop for each other throughout the film that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's so I know, like Rico is so he's such a basic person, like. He only enjoys Carmen, Denise Richards, because she's hot, right? She's an attractive woman, but they both of them have zero personality. And Denise Richards, uh, Carmen, she's flirting with, who's the guy? Xander. So before they even join, there's like a football match between Rico and Xander, opposing teams, right? And so Carmen's flirting with Xander, like on the sideline, right in front of her boyfriend. And she ends up like, being a pilot and trying a little love triangle with him like she this woman could take her leave rico any day but i mean they're just all so so shallow shell people that's <laughs> <laughs> why so it's so great because you like want to care but at the same time you don't really care but we also see the physical cost of obtaining the citizenship i mean we you mentioned you see the recruiters and the veterans who have missing limbs and then this naivete that these troopers are just going to wander into battle and be victorious just because of the fact that they're humans. And then we see what is it, like 80% of the recruits that Rico was with in boot are all either, they're either killed in training or they're killed in that opening battle in Clendathu. Yeah. They all end up like dying <laughs> early on. So the mortality rate is quite high to join the infantry. I would not want to be a part of that war because you see everybody who listed off their reasons for joining up, you know, as noble as they were, just get brutally killed. I mean, we see the woman who wanted to have babies get dragged off into a bug cave, presumably to just, you know, be stabbed to death with those bug limbs. And then the the guy who got into Harvard literally torn in half by the bugs. Yeah, it's pretty. I love how just how gruesome he makes their deaths. It's just so unceremonious. Verhoeven is just fantastic with that. Uh, But it's it's pretty. I think he does a great job at uh, once they start surviving battles. Like once Rico's the core makes it through like three or four battles, you see them become quote unquote the old soldiers, and they're only nineteen or twenty. But because they've survived so long, they're the old guys, and that is something that's kind of real in the military. Like when you're eighteen, you join. 
But by the time you're 24, 25, 26, you're looked as like an older person because you've been in for eight, nine years. You know, it's it's I liked how he painted that picture because it is very real. Yeah, there's this weird kind of disparity amongst the, the troopers because we see they're all young and it's really hard to kind of gauge who has more military service than the others. And I think that that disparity isn't really shown until we see Rico and Ace and Dizzy kind of go with the Roughnecks and they meet the other, um, the veterans of the Roughnecks kind of saying like, oh, we've been all over, we've had these battles. But I never got like a like a sense of any sort of like real timeline in this film because it seemed like Rico was in boot camp for all of like two weeks and then they go to war and yeah. apparently like Rico just rises through the ranks in a matter of what, like three days goes from private <laughs> to corporal to sergeant to lieutenant like that does not happen. <laughs> oh, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't I haven't researched too much on World War Two esque battles or world war one I. I don't know if like people got ranks like that quick in the field maybe but it did seem pretty funny you were right where they're just like well that guy's killed so you're promoted <laughs> it's pretty funny how it works out maybe that's a real thing i don't i don't know no i mean i mean i mean i would think that with some leadership vacancies, I think the military would at least transfer in a senior right. lieutenant or somebody or somebody who at least has you know, battle experience as opposed to like, well, he was a sergeant yesterday. Now, then he let's make him a lieutenant today, you know? <laughs> right. But it's a fascist society, Chris. So they just, you kill better than other guy. You get shiny thing on your hat. You in charge <laughs> now. It's like, what? <laughs> but this is also a society that is fully militarized. And this is one of the things about a fascist society, excuse me. Like everything shoved down these people's throats is in some way related to the military. All the mm. new segments even like are basically just thinly veiled recruitment um, segments. You know, you see the little kids that are squishing cockroaches. You see the soldiers <laughs> in the park showing off like the assault rifles to the kids. The and then even like those. Yeah. Like, show, like giving eight year olds an, a fully automatic rifle, which is just a horrible <laughs> idea. And then you see these weird science segments about, oh, here's how you kill bugs more effectively. <laughs> I know. Think of like the the society that they live in, man. Like, oh, this is a regular commercial that goes on every single day. Just watching bugs get brutally just murdered. Cold cock television. Just fantastic. Yeah, even Paul Verhoeven has directly said in several interviews that this is this is like the one of the biggest shortfalls of a fascist society is they have all this great technology and armor and weaponry, but really the only thing it's good for is killing bugs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They have like no progress scientifically. The only progress that they have is towards militarization and making the military stronger, better, and faster. There's nothing about like world hunger, <laughs> developing like food, you know, healthcare is never mentioned. None of that. It's just, can you shoot bigger, better lasers and fly faster towards the bugs? It was super, it's super Nazi-esque. I don't know if you've ever watched Nazi propaganda films. I had to in uh, college with German classes, but it was fantastic. Like the, they're so similar, like how the commercials are to that. Oh yeah, even the opening prologue for this film is a shot-for-shot -shot remake of a scene from a propaganda film called Triumph of the Will. 
and yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i've seen that yeah yeah verhoven even grew, like grew up i think in nazi occupied europe in his youth yeah. so he he's uniquely qualified to kind of talk about this in several films and then he brief in briefly touched on this subject when he directed robocop but i think now we see like the full vision of what a fascist society really looks like yeah from this perspective absolutely i think he he it's it's pretty clear cut with what it's about the military which begs the question <laughs> would you want to live in this world or live in a fascist society <laughs> um you know, I'm going to I'm going to have to say no on that one because it also it means it means <laughs> sacrificing a lot of your own personal freedom for the sake of, you know, military rule, which I'm not really right. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, our country is so great is cuz we have so many freedoms that are given granted to us but imagine if those were stripped away your your right to vote your right for free speech your right for religious freedom like if all if all all that were stripped away like then it wouldn't be america or it wouldn't be other countries that have freedom it's just yeah i wouldn't want to live under you know somebody who has all the authority and all the power you know i agree i agree i don't i don't think i would want to live in this fascist starship troopers world either that would suck balls i would be so pissed off same thing nowadays i wouldn't want to go back to night to germany in the 40s yeah i mean i'm good yeah everything is meant to be packaged in this sort of pretty way where oh look everybody's rich everybody lives in a great house everybody wears great clothes everybody looks beautiful i mean and everybody looks super young but the briefest mention of world building we get is from Ratchek when he mentions that the world was once a society that was governed by intellectuals and bureaucrats, and then the military rose up and took it over, and then that's how we get, you know, you don't get citizenship unless you're a soldier thing. Which is just so funny. So it's just fantastically displayed in this film. I know. It's it's so funny how it's like, well, we don't want to be intellectuals anymore. Let's blow things up. Yeah, let's build let's build these great big weapons that blow up bugs and let's develop interstellar travel and yet only use it so we can travel to other planets and kill bugs. Well, that's why the ending is so fantastic. Like they catch the brain bug and uh Neil Patrick Harris's character is telepathic, so he's able to talk to animals and he talks to it and his only thing that he says is it's afraid and everyone like cheers. They're like, yeah, <laughs> let's read its mind. And they just start brutally like attacking this thing, shoving a pole in its face. Like it's, they're so just archaic. They don't care about the species, how they learned intelligence. Nope. We just gotta, it's afraid of us. Yes. We're going to take over. Yeah. And I, to be honest, the design of that brain bug was a bit underwhelming to me because really all it was was just a giant slug with a vagina for a face is what it was. <laughs> I know it was it was a pretty freaking ugly creature. I actually I think for me, the lowest point of the film was the actual bugs themselves. I didn't uh, really think the CGI was that great or held up that great. Neither the brain bug, but, you know. It was 97 when this film was made, so it was still fairly new, and I think maybe it's just because we're so biased due to today's standards, you know? We have freaking Ad Astra CGI, you know, whereas compared to them, it's hard to compare, but I agree with you. The brain bug was kind of 
a little underwhelming. I imagine something that was going to be more along the lines of the alien queen from Aliens, where it was it was big, it was imposing, <laughs> it was dangerous. I mean, really, the only yeah. thing that the brain bug had was that little piercy thing that sucked out people's brains, and that was it. I mean, it seemed like a pretty killable thing. I mean, I don't think the objective should have been to capture the brain bug, because what are they going to learn from the bug? I mean, are they going to are they going to re-suck out? people's knowledge and brains or something like why not just incinerate the thing you know and then leave everyone at a disadvantage i think maybe they wanted to see where more of its bases were or something like that so they could just destroy and eradicate all the creatures who knows but i i agree with you i think it almost begs the question if like the humans caused the irritation to the bugs you know if it was our fault that we're being attacked you know, because the bug, who knows if they were peaceful creatures and it was because of our screwing with them that why they attack us. I think that that is briefly mentioned as sort of the cause as to why the bugs are attacking humanity. Because in one of those news segments, they mentioned that Mormon extremists built an outpost on one of the bug planets and then they were all massacred. It's like maybe that's why the <laughs> bugs hate us so much is because we're trying to colonize their territory. Ah, who would have thought? Colonization. <laughs> but I, I didn't really get the sense we, that the bugs were sophisticated enough to send specifically targeted asteroids hundreds of billions right. of miles across space to land at Earth. And yet, but the bugs were a convenient scapegoat. It's like, the bugs destroyed our, you know, attacked our planet. It's like, okay, well, let's go kill them. It's like, wait a minute, they're bugs. How could they send an asteroid? Don't think about it. Just spend more money to the military. <laughs> that's yeah, the all, that, all that you need is like one smart person in this society to be like wait a minute they're bugs how could they know how to send asteroids be like no be quiet because you substitute and you sell you take out bugs and substitute an ethnic minority and that's a fascist society right there exactly <laughs> so one of our uh so what did you think of uh rico as our hero and joining up and everything you know i i would call rico sort of this gullible naive hero Okay. And I think it's important to talk about his motivations for joining the mobile infantry because we briefly talked about it a little bit. And I think it's implied in the movie that Carmen's father is ex-military and doesn't approve of Rico and his family being these rich elites and having this great big fancy house. Right. But at the same time, he is also pushed hard to serve by Ratchek and Ratchek disguises it by suggesting, oh, Rico, just use your free will. I mean, you you join and do whatever you want. I mean, and it, but it's really as cool of a character as Ratchek is. He sounds like a major sociopath and steering children into joining the military. It, that's why it's so great. It's so funny because he's just like this horrible human being. <laughs> and the man is like, he's a sociopath. He, he's like you said, he. When he's giving the pep talk to them, right? He says, I will kill you if you can't do it, you know? If you wimp out, if you're not able to go through with the job on the planet. If you fall back, you will die. Like, this man is insane. Yeah, I mean, even Dizzy Dizzy and Rico even sleep together because of the suggestion of Ratchek. It's so weird to watch. Like, no, like, this is a trusted authority figure in my life. You know, I'm not going to listen to him I mean, on who I should, you know, sleep with that night. But they do. Oh, they do. <laughs> One of the many scenes in this film, because there's a, uh, what is it? 
they have a lot of like nudity in this film i would say oh god i mean i think one of the more infamous scenes from this film is that co-ed shower scene during training camp that's uh i well i had heard about the co-ed shower scene when we were initially prepping to watch this because i remember you telling me about it and yeah i get i i don't know how i felt about it i was just kind of like man it's a thing it's a thing that happens, but I wasn't too uh, off-putted about it. How about you? No, I mean, watching this when I was a bit younger is definitely like, whoa, wasn't expecting this. And now it's just like, well, fine, whatever. I mean, we've already seen these people in combat. We we saw one of them get their arm broken already. We saw a few other of them get the crap kicked out of them by Sergeant Zim. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of already seen these people in a vulnerable state. And I don't know exactly if the nudity or just the vulnerability of all them being in the shower and listing off their reasons for joining <laughs> is sort of necessary for their for their for their development. We're seeing them are in the process of being broken down because that's the thing that they don't tell you about when when you're going in for boot camp in the military is like your drill instructors are designed to like break down like your semblance of personality and individuality and get you to work together as a team because there can't be any hot dogs or you know lone wolves running around in a military unit and I'm sure you can attest to that. Well, definitely. Uh the military it changed who I was completely before joining uh, I was very into fashion and everything and then after joining once they break you down. I had like so much of a psychological experience uh, learning about just like wearing the uniform for, you know, 26 consecutive weeks. And that is who you are, your uniform. Everyone's the same. So it kind of, but that's also like me going in as an adult. I just learned to like let go. If anything, I didn't crave my individuality anymore. I totally bought in by my drill instructors fight the mission you know infantry all the way and you know one team one fight that was definitely for me it was very easy i it wasn't too tough to be broken down but i noticed in my training a lot of people like struggled with it particularly younger people because when i was in basic i was like 24 so we had like 17 year olds that were just they we all had to wear like the same running shoes i remember they just craved to wear like pink shoes and I remember it was like our last two weeks of basic training, their parents could send them in like uh, running shoes or whatever, or like black socks. So we didn't all have to wear white socks. And I remember so many people changed their socks and like pink shoes just because they're like, now I feel like myself. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why do you, what? A pair of shoes makes you you? It was just so fascinating just to like unpack that. Yeah, everybody's the same, and the your yeah. your story reminds me of a of a great uh, Clint Eastwood movie called Heartbreak Ridge, where he's this grizzled old Marine drill instructor, and he's assigned to transform this uh, group of misfits into a decent fighting unit. And his first day of training them, he's telling them, uh, "You know, we all have to wear the same shirt when we're running." It's like, but we are. It's like you're wearing the same shirt as me, <laughs> and he tells his tells his platoon to take their shirts off and you know run half naked in the hot california sun and it's it's such a fun that one's such a fun movie to watch that one uh that one kind of lies to people too and say hey look the military's fun and <laughs> starship troopers kind of does the same thing at first with people and mm-hmm. like you and like you 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 said earlier that the military definitely lies to people in terms of how it recruits 
oh, young yeah. people. I mean, oh yeah. But I mean, but you said you you joined up when you were like in your early and mid twenties, and and I mean, it's definitely I would say it's definitely a shock for an eighteen or nineteen year old coming in, and they're under or they're either not prepared for it at all, or they're underprepared for military life. Oh yeah, I would say most kids that join, they don't know what the hell they're getting into, or they're absolutely underprepared or they have an idea because they like went into a military family. But I found that the kids that came from military families were actually the worse soldiers than the kids that came off the street and had no idea, no prior knowledge. But it's just, there's so many variables going through because it was like, you would have a kid that that was like homeless off the street that joined just to like get a job and live and like survive literally. And he would become the best soldier there was. But then you would also get someone with the same like low, low standard of living and they would just reject everything military in like my basic. They would just be assholes to everyone and cause everyone trouble. So it's just it's so fascinating for how like people choose to be broken down if they want to and how they use that. Uh, the tactics, I guess, scare, fear, or punishment, pain and to get people to buy into it. So I personally love my basic training <laughs> because it was like, it was fascinating being a psych major, just analyzing everyone. Yeah. But to get back to the shower scene with you before we go move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did find some uh, tidbit knowledge on the shower scene. Uh, I guess the only re- way the actors were going to do the shower scene was if Everyone shot it naked, not just the actors, but Verhoeven and the camera crew and everyone, because the American actors felt like just so uncomfortable with nudity. And so uh, Verhoeven did it. And that's how they got the scene, the scene, because everyone had to be naked, which to me was pretty funny because uh, it just it's just fascinating because I think even Verhoeven comments on like how American culture doesn't mind seeing like big bombs exploding like people just getting brutally murdered and decapitated on screen, but just a nipple. It's like, Oh, Oh, Oh God, a nipple. Or like, you know, people are just so uncomfortable being naked as opposed to seeing gore. Yeah. We like to think of ourselves as like an evolved society, but really we can't handle seeing, you know, boobies on screen or someone's ding dong. (laughs) We just, we just freak out over it and call it pornography. I know it's, it's super funny. Oh, but moving forward, (laughs) nudity, everyone. (laughs) <laughs> nudity not as bad as you think i mean and i mean but we see rico as this very easily manipulated soldier and i, I mean it's easy to i mean i think it's safe to say that carmen is his biggest reason for enlisting but and then she also joins um the navy or like the space navy or whatever they call it and she's on the fence as to whether or not she's you know gonna go career or she's gonna stick it out and eventually like stay with johnny but then she sends him you know the dear johnny video and breaks up with him and then this just forces johnny like okay well i'm losing my motivation for joining which then is re-brought back when his home is destroyed by the bug or semen or we think it's destroyed by the bugs again we don't know and then when he's finally in the invasion on clendathrew he just takes over and goes full Rambo and just starts shooting everything in sight. <laughs> yeah, we do see a good character change for him. 
And uh, I think, though, that is, well, it is important to know that if you are considering, this is a PSA, to join the military, don't do it because of a partner or a spouse or anyone's doing it. Never join for anyone else. Join for yourself. I'm just telling you. Learn from Rico. Because <laughs> <laughs> things build and end overnight. But I do agree. It's it's almost like he lost kind of, well, I mean, that would be tough to go home. Like, your whole life is basically eviscerated literally so he has nothing else to live for well he very symbolically dies in in that opening invasion or at least he it's assumed he's dead and then he's put literally put back apart in that um i guess that incubator you know luke skywalker type of uh tube there where his his wound is all sewn back together and then we see this hard transition okay rico's back this is rico as he's supposed to be as a soldier and we mentioned it briefly earlier, and then he has this meteoric rise to the ranks, which just seems impossible because he goes from, from a grunt to an officer in just a week's time. And the same goes for Carl and Carmen. They It seems like they become officers in like six months, it seems like, because the, the timeline in this film is never clear on any of that. No, it's very, very brief. They just promote immediately. I think they promote on necessity, <laughs> to be honest, like rather than qualifications. Well, yeah, when a when a hundred thousand people are killed in the opening invasion, yeah, you kind of have to promote people pretty quickly. Ex yes, exactly. Even if they don't follow flight protocols and destroy half the the space station due to flying their spaceship belligerently. Yeah, I'm the military tactics in this film like are not even that great. I mean, granted, I'm 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 a lay person when it comes to you know, how to employ these sort of tactics, but <laughs> their whole strategy was just to land on the planet and shoot everything in sight. That's not a plan. <laughs> no, it's not. Even Star Trek does a better job. Even Star Wars. I mean, it's just so funny how they just, yep, just land and uh, bang, bang. That's all we need. Don't don't try to blow up the planet. Just land inside and bang, bang. Like, uh, we're going to land on the planet there, and then everyone's going to shoot their guns, and we're going to kill all the bugs, and we're going to go home and drink beer. Like, that's not a plan. No, no, it's not. But it just shows. That's a, that's a, that's a paintball outing with your friends. That's what that is. <laughs> well, Chris, it just shows, you know, how military-minded and simplistic they think, and all it is is, you know, destruction. Just, just throw more bodies at it. Just throw more bodies. They'll have to be taken down at some point. It's just so ridiculous to watch. I mean, just throw, like you said, throw the bodies at the bugs, and it doesn't matter how many people are going to get killed. We have a, like 100 million more because we live in a fascist society, and we can just throw all the people that we want. <laughs> it's the machine, man. But, oh, I just realized, Johnny, he got a Dear John video. How uh, tongue-in-cheek is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic <laughs> well i mean it's also confusing too because they're all from at least johnny dizzy and carmen they're all from um they're all from buenos aires yeah and yet they're all these beautiful looking white people <laughs> i mean we, we've talked about it before on our show how hollywood just wants to whitewash everything because apparently white people sell better or something some <laughs> some racist reasons behind it and this is a prime example because johnny's original name in uh, in the novel is juan rico and he goes by johnny yep they had to go with it because i don't think hispanics would be fascists <laughs> not, maybe not in the 90s 
but who knows? Maybe it's a maybe it's a culture, a product of our time. You know, the '90s were a very different era for us, and I think he just wanted to Verhoeven wanted to paint the most fascist thing that he knew, and that was Germans, which is a country of a bunch of white people. Yeah, it, it's much easier to sell white people as fascists than it is to sell um, somebody from South America as a fascist. Like black people. It's like, no, there's no, you're never going to see it. So whitey is the easiest sell. And I did find it pretty funny how it was just, I mean, the color variants in this film, it was primarily just like white people. I, there were really weren't that many uh, minorities, I would say. No, there was um, Shijumi in boot camp and um, there were... Um, several black soldiers in with the roughneck sugar was one of them. And then that, um, I think that the sergeant or the corporal who takes Rico's and, and their orders, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're black people kind of peppered in amongst the ranks here, but it's, you know, it's, it's primarily white people, which I mean, <laughs> if we're, I mean, I'd be interested to see what, I mean, what the U S army's, um, sort of, um, like demographics are, but I yeah, imagine I it's, know. there's a pretty good race of, of diverse people amongst uh, military groups. Oh yeah. The military is pretty diverse. I would say if from my experiences in units, I've seen like every type of human being possible that that's been on various different ranks and officers. So that is one thing that I really do enjoy um, about it because it is quite diverse, not to like, you know, promote or anything, but it is a pretty diverse organization for sure. What do you think of the technology if we're talking about on like science? You know, it's tough to explain because they really kind of don't the filmmakers don't really go into detail regarding this technology. We just see I mean, obviously this is a very fully realized militaristic society and but we don't see this great tech being used for civilian use. Yeah. Like we have interstellar travel, but civilians can't use it. <laughs> but that's really it. I mean, we haven't learned you know, oh, did we use our scientific advances to cure cancer or prolong life or, you know, increase education? Have we uh, have we closed the income gap and things like that? Have we solved homelessness? Right. Like all all this great technology, but it doesn't really address society's problems. Society's problems is just like, oh, it's the bugs that are causing our problems. So let's go kill them. Let's not worry about income inequality or anything like that. Right? It's actually the society in and of itself that's causing their problems. Yeah, it's just this transference of, well, let's not look at, the, these aren't causing problems, those are causing our problems. Like, those bugs are causing the problems. Right? Not the fact that no one's, our, uh, what is it, our age is being decreased because no one lives past the age of, like, 25 because they're all dying in the war. <laughs> life expectancy is at an all-time low and prosthetics are selling high. Hey, that is, though, a job that you could probably get in this uh, timeline. If you own prosthetics or make prosthetics, you could make a killing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Although, I, I, one, like, one thing I did find interesting is we were talking about Carmen's Dear Johnny video to him. Um, and I actually read that her decision to go career was not well received by test audiences. Really? At the time, people called it an immoral choice. For her to go career? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was not well received in 1997, but there was also this planned romantic subplot between her and Xander 
but this was removed following that harsh reaction. And I think it's important to address that in only like a quarter century after this film has come out, I think if the film were made now, that type of decision would be applauded and I think would now be considered the more, the norm amongst female characters. That's I'm just kind of perplexed at why that was a bad move with test audiences. I feel like it needed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we mentioned, as progressive as we like to think we are, we just get so bothered when a woman speaks her mind or when there's nudity on screen, you know? Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah, I forgot. 97 was a tough time for us. Yeah, Tupac getting shot in Biggie, so it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the late 90s were rough, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of angry fans, did you have any uh, toxic fandom? Oh, did I? So this this uh, internet pedant that I found was very, very vocal about the brain bug sequence when he, uh, the brain bug sucks out Xander's brain. So <laughs> the brain bug sucks Xander's brain out while Carmen watches on. Not only does he appear to stay conscious slash reactive through the whole ordeal, this is in parentheses, <laughs> which would never happen. But his face gets thinner and his eyes roll back. Two things that would have nothing to do with getting your brain sucked out of your skull. <laughs> okay, Dr. Kevorkian. <laughs> so we have somebody who has an odd fascination of brains getting sucked out through skulls and the, what the body does when that happens and just took the to the internet to voice their frustration. Yes. Yes, they do. Oh, people. It's always great. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of people getting killed, though, did you have a red shirt, Sean? Oh, my God. There are so many red shirts. I think my... I know. Uh, oh, there's just so many freaking red shirts. I don't know. I think uh, the big one to me that was a red shirt was probably the cameraman at the beginning of the the uh, film. You know, you see this guy just reporting and then he's offed. I guess maybe it's supposed to show like how terrible the bugs are and vicious, but that was a big one for me. Of him dying, and then uh, maybe uh, Flores or Dizzy. I was kind of sad when Dizzy died, but I don't know why she died. It was kind of like perplexing to me. But I think those two were probably my red shirts. Well, I mean, like you said, there are definitely a lot to choose from in this movie, but I'm going to pick the officer who hid in the cooler when they're investigating the Ford on Planet P. <laughs> his name was general owen and i don't i don't think his his name is mentioned i think just his rank is mentioned when he falls out of the cooler but this superior officer bothers ratchek so much that he is about to shoot him in the face just as this this horde of bugs is going to come crashing in on the fort and then as the battle is about to end rico shoots one of those flying bugs out of the air and it just crushes general owen to death it's like, what was the point of having this annoying person just emerge from the cooler and then just kill him three minutes later? I know. That was, yes. Yes, I was, I felt the same way when he died actually thinking about it. Because I thought like, at first, like when the people's brains were like sucked out or whatever, I thought that was like something internal. Like it was kind of like alien style, you know, where like something was inside that springs out. So I thought the general like had was infected. So he was just going to like turn into a bug or something. But when he just unceremoniously dies after being a coward, it's like, what? <laughs> but speaking of things that are unceremonious or don't make sense, did you have a lens flare? A lens flare. Um, 
Not that I, no, I don't think I had one that was, no, I don't think so. Because from the film, and also I watched it like almost a month ago, but nothing that I can recall, <laughs> recall other than maybe uh, Carmen flying the ship around when she takes over, like overrides the standard flight course for a more efficient route. Yeah, that would probably actually be my lens flare because then she ends up like start flying all over like the inside of the spaceship causing like damage and havoc to the crew. And it's just like, what? Why? Like she's showing off, but I don't know. To me, maybe that was like showing her like character, how much she's grown, but it was just like kind of annoying because (laughs) that wouldn't happen in, you know, this military life. How about you? Well, I've got one and... All right. I don't mind. I don't mind when films kind of throw some tribute or homage to another film, but to me, Dizzy's funeral scene is among one of the worst things I've seen on screen. <laughs> and her death itself is pretty gruesome, and it's really the only death in the film that we're forced to stew over. And yeah. when we're when we feel we really feel that death and that emptiness that follows, but. That following scene is just so cringy in terms of the acting, and it's such a blatant ripoff of Star Trek The Wrath of Khan that it's just ridiculous <laughs> to watch. Yeah. I mean, I just I just feel like that Verhoeven watched The Wrath of Khan and is like, I need to have that in my movie. And <laughs> it was just so ridiculous and so obvious where he got it from, though. Yeah. Didn't they like send her out in a torpedo or something? Yeah, I almost expected um, Rico to say hers, her soul was the most, you know, little whip quiver and then go, human. <laughs> Just something like Shatner-esque that ended before he launches her out into space, into the eternal. It was just so ridiculous to watch. It is. Her death is ridiculous. She gets stabbed like three times. <laughs> Brutally stabbed. I don't know how she didn't bleed out in seconds from those wounds. Hey man, you have to have a great, uh, great ending. <laughs> Go out in style. Well, that's good. Yeah, I like that. Well, before we get to the ending, let's discuss the legacy of Starship Troopers. Okay. All right. So, this film, while it's managed to retain a lot of success nowadays and cult success, this film cost one hundred and five million dollars to make. However, it only grossed $121 million at the box office that year. That's not, yeah. You. That's, <laughs> that's not a lot. I mean, it this didn't even crack the top 10 in worldwide gross that year. And I mean, in spite of the decent reviews, I'm not going to say great reviews because that's not what it got. Because um, <laughs> it holds a 64% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 51 per, on Metacritic. So it's internet reviews. So take those for what you will. Um <clears throat> It's true. Was nominated for Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards that year, but a little movie called Titanic pretty much won all of the awards that year. So, <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> not going to win that one there. Ah, that's true. It, however, did win Best Costumes and Special Effects at the Saturn Awards that year. So, hey, it didn't go home empty-handed. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is that this film this initial film from 1997 has spawned this whole direct-to-video franchise there have been four sequels made since this film came out but all of them have been released direct-to-video and the most recent came in 2017 and i think a big deal was made about that one because casper van dien returned to play johnny rico 
<laughs> Still haven't. But heard these of are no better than like Sci-Fi Channel, like B or C movies. And I, I, as far as I'm concerned, they're not even worth watching because I don't even know what the sequels are about or who's even in them, except for Van Dien. Yeah, they're they look pretty bad. Yeah, and this also spawned an animated series. And I do remember watching this animated series because I remember they would put it uh, on Adult Swim at like two in the morning sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but it ended after eight episodes and it ended on a cliffhanger. So we didn't even get any sort of resolution to that sh- to that show. Wait, really? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I could only find eight episodes that were released and I guess more were planned, but the, the show was just canceled after eight episodes. Oh my god. What was the uh what was it called? Oh man, I think it had something to do with the Roughnecks, but I remember it was oh, yeah. it was like fully it was yeah. it. It was like fully 3D animated and all that <laughs> and it was I, I remember it being very impressed of it at the time. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was called Roughneck Starship Troopers Chronicles. So it was just trying to like continue the main story. And it ends on a literal cliffhanger. That is freaking hilarious. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but it's also it's also spawned several video game adaptations. Like uh-huh. I think there was one about the like that was ad- adapted from the original movie. But those have all been critical and commercial failures. And oh yeah, yeah, there were there were in 2011 actually there were plans that were announced for a remake. Oh, um, of, of this original film, but but there's been no news on that since 2016, so it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, well, that's good because we uh, the in United States audiences didn't understand it back in '97, and I'm pretty sure we wouldn't understand it now, and it would just be a big waste of money. So, I'm 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 fine with this being like held in regard, like in hindsight. So, with all of that in mind, let's rate. Starship Troopers, shall we? All right. So on our unique scale of the force-fed sci-fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party, what do you give to 1997 Starship Troopers, Sean? 1997 Starship Troopers. I give this film, I would say, a uh, probably it's a cross between, for me, a would own. I think I think for it's not a perfect perfect film, but I think it is a really good film, uh, particularly back in '97. Um, I think it sucks that audiences didn't understand it in the United States, but that's uh, typical for American audiences. We never understand anything, but for me, I really liked it. I thought it was funny. The cutscenes, commercials, the propaganda was great. I totally related with everything throughout the film. The jokes were great. I mean, it was just, it was great. It was a great satirical piece on fascism and the military and the military industrial complex. So for me, it was great. I would do a uh, would own for sure. How about you, Chris? You know, I, I think it's important not to take this film too seriously. And I think that's what audiences were trying to do back in the day. And I think it could explain why this film wasn't successful back then but has sort of found new life now now that people are starting to really understand it and i don't think there is any sort of like current commentary to glean from it but if you accept this film as satire in the same way that somebody would accept um uh 
Mel Brooks is the producers at Satire, then there really is a lot to enjoy. I mean, and this is like we said, this is a, this is a satire of fascism, and but it also could be viewed as sort of like a warning to recognize the early signs of a growing totalitarian society. So, I mean, if there is something to glean from that, it's like, hey, you know, watch out for these things. I mean, we've discussed the nudity. I mean, it, in in this day, it seems unnecessary because the film, I don't think it really needs like a, a gratuitous co-ed shower scene, but it's there. There's not much we can do about it now. Um, but this, but it also seems very much in the wheelhouse of Paul Verhoeven and his style of film. I mean, if you look at RoboCop, you look at Basic Instinct, you look at Total Recall, and you look at Starship Troopers, and this just screams like, well, that's a Paul Verhoeven movie. And, I mean, the battle scenes are fun. They're not lacking any sort of real tactics. It's just, it's like a video game. You just run and gun, you kill bugs. They're enjoyable, and... In spite of all of that, the film still manages to hold up after all this time. So for me, I would call this a wood host a viewing party. But it's going to come with a warning like, hey, there's an unnecessary nude scene. So watch out. <laughs> uh, sweet. That's a good review, Chris. So oh, thank you, sir. We are onwards to our next film. And we are going to consult our friendly number generator, Major Samantha. Yes, we've got a list of 118 films for her to choose from. So hitting the random number generator, she has selected number 29. There's a film from 2007 directed by Danny Boyle. It is Sunshine. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I could just feel the excitement for you to watch this film, Sean. All right. I have no idea what the hell it is, but I feel like... Did you add this to the list or did I? Uh, I think I did. I have actually never seen this film, but uh, I'm a big fan of Danny Boyle's work, so I'm uh, looking forward to watching this one. All right, man. Well, sweet. Until next time, it's been a pleasure, Mr. Rupp. Oh, likewise, my friend. And if you all enjoyed today's episode, please, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at FourceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team, we'll see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.